What is the future of containers? In this three-part series, we are exploring the promising technologies aiming to make our cloud-native apps more secure without giving up performance. Previously, we learned all about micro-VMs, taking a deep dive on the most talked-about micro-VM, AWS Firecracker. This week on MobyCast, we finish looking at micro-VMs with a discussion of Kata containers. Then we explore the world of unikernels, which promise the same benefits as micro-VMs, but with a dramatically different approach. Oh, and somewhere along the way, Chris accidentally invents a new technology, conternals. Welcome to MobyCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. It's good to be back. Good to have you back. Here we are in a series on micro VMs, which is super cool. And the second episode of the series, I think, was one of the best episodes of MobyCast that we've done in a long time. Um, So we've got our work cut out for us today to try not to be boring. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, we're we're going to continue on. What's that? Speak for yourself. I'll hold my own. I'll, I'll, I'll be witty and entertaining. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're going to talk today, and, and we're not going to get into pleasantries and how the weather is there, because I'm sure it's awful, and it, it is here too. Snow. Yeah, same here. So let's talk about software and computers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and let's talk, uh, so in, in part three, we're going to talk about Kata containers and unicornals. <laughs> Yes, the infamous just really wanted to say unicornals. Yeah, I mean, let's. Yeah, you might it might catch on, right? There's your meme right there. Go ahead, do it. You should do. Yes. post it to Twitter. Hashtag unicornals. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, we're we're on this 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 journey of just like looking at what's the future of containers. We've talked about the problem, like the benefits, the pros and cons of VMs and containers. So VMs, strong isolation, high security. Um, containers, though, give us much better speed, performance, and, and efficiency of resources, but giving up some of that security and isolation. So how do we, basically, all all the direction going forward now is like, how do we kind of bring those two things together and resolve them? And three main things that we've been looking at. So we've been looking at micro VMs and what they are. That's what we've, we've talked about in, in the first two series, of the first two episodes. Last episode, we really went deep on one of the most popular micro VMs out there, which is Firecracker from AWS. And so today we're going to finish up talking about another one um, called Kata Containers. And then after that, we can move on to Unikernels, which is a whole not, uh, or Unicornels, um, <laughs> which is a whole nother um, way of going about some of the, to get some of the same benefits. And then we'll maybe briefly just touch on like sandboxes as a container sandboxes as like a third kind of prong out there, although probably much much less interesting for us. Right, so, right. So yeah. yeah. But is any of this interesting to anybody? Like, what's the point? Why are we even talking about all of this? Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's interesting in the aspect of like this is the evolution of technology, and 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 a big part of it. It's just all being driven by um, cloud computing, which is which is really kind of interesting. And not only that, it's actually this is all this everything we're talking about is going to be really important for devices as well. So IoT. 
right? Because they have some of the same constraints where it's like you need to, you're very, very special purpose, but you really have to take advantage. You, you need either speed or you need really great resource efficiency, right? So right, like right. That, that sensor in your home, right? Like it can't require, you know, eight gigs of RAM or a, or a huge CPU, right? So it needs right. to be very, very um, resource efficient. You know, and another thing, I'm not sure if, if micro VMs will have the same kind of trajectory that Docker did. I kind of think that it, they won't and that they'll be mostly behind the scenes stuff and that once you get your head around working in a containerized workflow, that that will continue to be what you need to know uh, into the future with, as micro VMs become more popular. But I say that with a caveat because I re- I distinctly remember somebody saying, "Oh yeah, and like this is like ten years or yeah, like ten years ago now." Um, somebody being like, "Yeah, Docker, that seems kind of cool, but it's like it's only like script kiddies talking about it, and so it's pretty uninteresting to me." <laughs> and now that guy's probably like you know writing Docker up and stuff like that every day as part of his job and being like, huh, I was kind of immature in my reasoning about what Docker was all about back then. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe it's not quite the same with micro VMs. Maybe they do sort of stay in the background and they're, they're the domain of people that work inside big cloud companies and stuff like that. But, but they are, you know, along that same trajectory. So if you were pushing Docker 10 years, years ago and you're pushing micro VMs today, then, you know, you're going to probably be you're going to, your job is probably going to involve doing something with micro VMs like nine to five every single day of the week in ten years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, here, here's the way I look at it. Um, so you know, we said that like there's these three kind of main prongs, and with micro VMs, unikernels, and sandboxes. So let, let's just forget about sandboxes because sandboxes is just really like how do we take standard containers and give them some stronger. Some, some stronger isolation by sandboxing mm-hmm. the kernel, right? So mm-hmm. that so Google GVisor project is is doing that, um, and but it's not really dramatically different, and, and it's there's not a lot of interest there, right? Because it's really only addressing the security part of it. It doesn't give us um, any other any other improvements like the it actually slows down containers, right? Because you're going through a proxy now. Um, but so let's talk about micro VMs and, and unikernels. And it really is, the way you can look at it is that micro VMs slot in to the abstractions that we have right now with containers, right? It just becomes part of the the container infrastructure that we use to run them, but it doesn't change how we, we're still going to use containers and we still use all that that rich ecosystem of, of tooling. So think of micro VMs as, as basically a drop-in replacement for run C. And so how much do you, like everyone that's using containers now, like how many of them really know what do they one even know that Run C exists, and two, like what does it do? Um, and you know, you just don't need to know too much about that, right? It's like the 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 guts of it, the implementation of the infrastructure. It's just not too terribly important. And I kind of see that's where micro VMs slotting in versus unikernels, which we're going to talk to much more in depth. They represent like this radical shift in how we build our our applications, and that is more analogous to back in you know going back 10 years when containers came online right like it was this mm-hmm. huge shift of going from like I'm building an application that's running on a VM to I'm now building an application that runs inside a container and we've talked about this quite a bit on previous episodes of Movicast where it's just like that is a huge 
mental shift. It's a huge culture right. shift. It's a process, and it's it's taken a long time, right, for that to get to get that traction. And it, and it does. There is that pushback um, from folks right. when they make that change. So you're going to have that same kind of adoption problem with unikernels. Right. But not with microVMs. MicroVMs just slot right in and people won't mm-hmm. even have to know about it. But I guarantee you going forward, the the odds that you'll be running your containers, one container per VM in a microVM is extremely high. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. If yeah. you're running in the cloud, that is gonna be the pattern. Mm-hmm. But but it's just gonna be it's gonna be um, you know, infrastructure, um, undifferentiated heavy lifting that for the most part we're not gonna need to know about. But it is important for us to know at least what what that is and what gains we get from it and be able to talk intelligently about like, Oh, I know what a micro VM is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Let's jump in. Uh, Are we going to go straight to Kata containers? I think so. So, you know, we, we've kind of set the groundwork. We kind of, I think we know where we're at. We're, we're talking through micro VMs. We, like I said, we spent a lot of time going into firecracker and we finished up with that last time. Now let's just look at another one real quick with Kata containers. Cause that's another, popular imp- implementation that's out there that folks may have heard about. Right. And we even did a spoiler alert at the end of the la- last episode. So people already know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's really, um, there's, there's not a lot, there's not as much to say about this because unlike Firecracker, which is a hypervisor, Kata containers is more, it is up the stack a bit. It's not a hypervisor itself. It is really more like that run C replacement. Okay. So it's it's more at the container run. So it's it's that portion of the container runtime that says instead of the services above me think they're asking of me to create a container, but instead what it's doing is it's first creating a VM and then and then it's creating the container inside that VM. So just like Firecracker Container D mm-hmm. is doing that for Firecracker VMs, Kata Containers is doing that for other types of VMs. And so Kata Containers works with other hypervisors out there. Um, so it does work with things like uh, QEMU, um, KVM, and um, it also, there, there's there been work to integrate in with um, Firecracker as well. Um, so think of this as as more of like at the container runtime um, integration point in the in the infrastructure. Well, I guess what's what I'd like to know then if it's creating a VM and putting and then running a container inside it. Maybe you just answered that, and I just I'm not quite familiar enough with you know I can't remember exactly what uh, KVM and Q, QEMU do. Um, I think they're just different hypervisor implementations. So yeah, to, to, together there are a hypervisor. So so KVM is the the Linux kernel virtual machine module, right? And so that mm-hmm. is a way of, of making the Linux kernel a hypervisor. There's two spaces, there's two parts to it. There's the okay. kernel component and then there's the user space component. And the user space component is responsible for emulating a lot of the, the devices and, and some of the other emulation capabilities. QEMU is that user space component that does the emulation. So you, you'll see something like KVM is paired up with something else. So, um, so if you're You'd be KVM and QEMU is your hypervisor, or like in the Firecracker space, it's KVM plus Firecracker. Firecracker is that okay. is that alternative to QEMU. 
So there we go. That totally answers my question because I was like, well, if, if Kata Containers is making VMs to run containers, then what VMs is it making? And it sounds like it's either making, like they're going to do a firecracker one. So that'll be a super, you know, it'll actually be a micro VM, like super lightweight with a bunch of stuff removed from it. Or it'll be a, KE, or a QEMU one. Um, which is like a full-up Linux kernel that does everything. Yeah, I just keep in mind, like that QEMU when you're when it's configured to use that as the hypervisor. I mean, that's still really lightweight. Okay. Right. So it's the as much or as little as you want. I think of the the um, the emulation. So they're very very fast. So if you go to like the QEMU project page, you'll see it's like wow. Like if you use. Like we are designed to be very high performance, and we can, you know, you can spin up these these VMs very, very quickly with with this as the hypervisor. So it's by no means like this full up heavyweight, long boot time alternative. So it's very viable to have Kata containers and have all the benefits of Kata containers, but using QEMU as your hypervisor as opposed to say like Firecracker. Okay, cool. You're still going to get great performance gains, right? It's still going to be extremely, you know, fast and really great with resource um, efficiency. Just, re- just it's again the the difference there is that like Firecracker, it has its own basically user space component for the emulation, and it's just purpose built for AWS land and the kind of use cases that it has. Versus QEMU mm-hmm. is a little bit broader. Okay, right? Super. That's exactly what I needed to know. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe it's kind of um, some things with, with uh, Kata containers that are um, maybe important. It's just from a project history standpoint, um, Kata is the result of a merger between two projects. So one was the Clear Containers project from Intel. And with that project, they were focused on very fast boot times and enhanced security for containers. So they were looking at less than 100 millisecond boot time and enhanced security. And so that was clear containers from Intel. And then the other project is the um, hype. It's from Hyper, the Run V project, and it was a um, that was a hyper based hypervisor based runtime for OCI. So remember, OCI is that container runtime interface that we use for our containers that allow, like, Docker was one of the folks behind that to, to define, <laughs> like, what is that common protocol like that we can expect from the container runtime and, and be able to slot in different types of runtimes into, the, into, into our system, not just right. um, container D and run C and whatnot. And that, that protocol, just, just to kind of bring that conversation back to life for some people, you know, what would a protocol even do? Well, containers need to be stopped. They need to be started. They need to be identified, you know, a few other things. Yeah, exactly. So, so really, um, the hyper run V, um, project was pretty similar to like, again, like what Kata is. Um, so it's that OCI compliant piece of the stack for, Slotting in and saying I'm creating VMs instead of creating, I mean, I'm creating VMs with containers inside those VMs as opposed to just creating containers purely. And then the Clear Containers project was bringing some of the the performance and security gains that they were they were implementing with with containers. So those two things merged together, I think, um, near the end of 2017, and became the Kata Containers project. Okay, it's still relatively. You know, newish, right? So they're still working on merge conflict resolution. <laughs> I think they're they're beyond that. Um, <laughs> okay, but 
you know, it's it's really like I mean, this is you know, it's less than two years old. Kata containers okay. as a thing, right? Which is in the technology world, like that is still pretty, pretty, uh, pretty early on, pretty early mm-hmm. days, and so they mm-hmm. they still have a lot of work ahead of them. They do. Um, there has been work to integrate them with other um, systems. So in, in in particular, in the Kubernetes side of the land of the world, with the CI, the Kubernetes runtime specification, the CRI O. And if anyone knows if there's a way that folks out there pronounce that, like if it's cryo or something like that, I would I would love to to know. Um, but I will just spell it out for now. Um, so that is the the runtime spec for Kubernetes, and so Kata is one of those things that you can now slot in. So Kata is now an alternative to Run C for the container runtime in Kubernetes. Cool. Um, so that's one way you can use Kata containers today. Um, with with Kubernetes, so it seems like there's a death match happening a little bit between Firecracker and Kata, and the advantage that Kata has is that it's already they are they started from a point of view of like, well, let's make sure that this is generally useful, and Firecracker started from the point of view of like, let's make sure this solves AWS problems very very well, um, and so as once Firecracker was open source, people are like, well, how can we make this more generally useful? And so that's the direction it's going. And Kata is like, you know, I guess like if you're in AWS, like maybe just use Firecracker because it's already really well built for that environment. But outside of AWS, maybe Kata feels feels like the better choice. Yeah, I mean, here's the the other way to look at it is just um, it's not a death match between Kata and Firecracker. It's Mm -hmm. a death match between Kata in Firecracker Container D. Yes. Right? Yes. Because Good Kata, point. you can use Firecracker VMs with Kata. Uh, but you wouldn't use mm-hmm. Firecracker Container D, right? So mm-hmm. so it's that's what's going head to head here is is yeah. is Kata yeah. versus Firecracker Container D. Well and then Fire so Kata is like a couple years old and Firecracker Container D, I mean, how old is is that even? Like six months old? Yeah, so Kata is definitely further along in that space. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. So, so it may be like, hey, if you do want to use Firecracker VMs with Kubernetes, then we we talked about last episode how there's Weave has Ignite, um, mm-hmm. which is basically it slots in like Kata containers would, right? It's another runtime. So it's kind of interesting to see like this explosion now of of runtimes and. It'll be interesting to see, like, is there, you know, even more of these projects out there that happen? Because for a while, it was really just basically container D and, and run C. But now, I mean, Docker's kind of like, what's going to happen there, right? Um, right. So um, we'll we'll see we'll see where this where this goes. But I think if you are running Kubernetes, then you're probably looking at things like Kata or um, Ignite um, to. Uh, to run Firecracker VMs. Cool. Yeah. So that's that's Kata. Um, so again, think of it as a alternative to Firecracker Container D. Um, and uh, again, it's something that's it's been out there. It's it's been used in production. It started off like Clear Containers was used at scale in production by companies like JD.com, which is like the big e-commerce, the big uh, Chinese e-commerce company. Kata Containers are being run in production by Baidu. Another big Chinese um, internet company, so it's it's there. It's established. It's being used in, in production workloads, and 
again, probably just further along than some of these other projects that we've talked about. Right, right. It's kind of funny though, like, you know, we say that, oh, you know, this container runtime is being used in big production workloads. And um, while there is some amount of stability that you need and, and some amount of operational capability that you need to do that, uh, the whole point is that these like containers are kind of throwaway. So even if they're like, you know, total chaos inside that system, it doesn't really matter as long as there's enough of them running to handle your traffic. So you know, you know what I mean? Like the irony is maybe all this stuff doesn't need to be as mature as it once did. Yeah, I mean, it has to be mature enough though, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. there, there is a big difference between like 80% like correct <laughs> versus right. like 97% correct, right? So you right, might be right. able to run production 97% um, correct, but 80% is just too many crashes, right? Um, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. just it's just not going to work. Yeah. So so there there is that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we can safely assume that things like Clear and, and Kata are at that you know ninety nine percent or or mm-hmm. higher level. Um, so yeah. pretty 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 tried and true. Cool. Yeah. So 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 I think we can kind of wrap up micro VMs with that. Um, so you know all those techniques are basically just like. We're going to run our containers inside a VM, and that's going to give us some some get get us back that great security and workload isolation capabilities that we had with VMs. But we still retain the performance, the efficiency, the resource efficiency, and more importantly, like that abstraction, the tooling, and the ecosystem of just we still get to work with containers with with really not even having to know the details of like it's now my container is inside its own custom bespoke VM. So let's move on to the next technique, which is unikernels. Yes, so rare. And this is totally different. (laughs) It is. Uh, Well, and, and, you know, there's not a lot of unikernels. I mean, they really are unicorns. I mean, I don't think Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of of unikernels out there in practice, and we're going to, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get into this, but, and we talked about this earlier in this episode, where they do represent like a fundamental shift in how you go about using this tech and how do you package your application as a unikernel completely different than containers it's a completely different approach um it requires totally different tooling um some of them require totally different languages programming languages um so this is a big 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 change so let's just recap like what are they so basically what they are they are a lightweight immutable operating system that's been compiled specifically to run a single application. So so what does that mean? So you know normally on a system you have an operating system and it's designed to be, you know, multitasking, multi-threaded, it's got all the um, support that a that an operating system would have. Um, you know, managing kernel versus user space, interrupts, I mean all just devices, IO, um, storage, all that kind of stuff. Um, so with unikernels, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm just, I have this single application, this single process that I want to run. I want to, instead of running a full-blown operating system, I only want the pieces of the operating system that I need to run that single process. And I'm going to go and compile an ex- basically an executable, pulling in just that very specific code that I need and the output is instead of now running an operating system on my server with my application running, instead it's just it's just this 
this executable that has only the bare minimum amount of, of code that it needs. And so it's just a single process, single application running on that machine inside that unit kernel. Right. I mean, I think when I hear this description, it just feels like everything that was old becomes new again. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is this is kind of you know how it all. I mean, it really goes back. I mean, this is you know we're this going goes back, back to, to like, like the pre-operating system days, mm-hmm. like way back. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before before operating systems became multitasking, right? We I think we talked about this last episode or the previous one about you know giving an example of the early versions of Windows like Windows three one where it didn't make a distinction between kernel uh, protected kernel and user space and how an application when it crashed it could possibly take down the kernel which means you have to reboot your machine um, and then they you know said no we're going to build this in a more secure way um, and we're going to isolate that so that rogue apps or poorly behaving apps can't take down a whole system. And so this is getting rid of all those protections, right? So there is no difference now between kernel and user space. Um, you don't need right. one because there is no kernel anymore and a differentiation between the kernel and user space. There's just one and that's just your application. But even further, like even further back than that, like I think before there were even operating systems, it, it was sort of like this whole like, well, how can I get a, how can I just get a piece of silicon to run an application? And I just want to kind of bootstrap this application into existence. Like when you turn on this machine, this is the application that's mm-hmm. running. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, I, I pretty like that's. I mean, if you go back to the. Uh, uh, the, the name escapes me right now, but the you know what's kind of credited as the first PC, the one that that um, Bill Gates and Paul Allen saw on the cover of, of Popular Electronics. Um, you know, in that particular one, you had to they had to load their program in right as mm-hmm. part of like mm-hmm. turning on the machine, and mm-hmm. that's it. So it just you turned it on, and it would go run and just you know run through the program, um, right? And then we and then we uh, you know evolved from there, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so this is this is this is kind of exactly that, right? But this is it really is being driven by the exact same um, use cases that we see with with micro VMs, right? So it's very special purpose. Um, we're using unikernels for things like cloud um, applications, you know, that need to be very very fast. They're very special purpose. They um, really. Are Kind of doing one thing and one thing only, mm-hmm. um, and they need to be very resource um, efficient. And or it's something like you know an IoT application where you're in a device, and again, same kind of constraints. So so unit kernels are good for the exact same things that micro VMs are, right? Tar- targeting those environments. Right. I guess the the one thing that I want to think that this makes me think about that is worth pointing out is like. With a unikernel, you're still probably running code that's generally um, kind of generalized. Like the code doesn't exactly like you. Kind of need all of the instruction set of of like a processor, like a general purpose processor. So it needs to be able to you know do everything that a general purpose processor can do. Um, as opposed to uh, some of the things we've talked about before, where like um, it's so specific that you can drop it down and and like put the code into silicon. And that, like that, the example of that, like just turning the turning an app into actual silicon, like putting it on a chip, like like you see what I mean? There's like a difference between these two things. Like 
I guess maybe though, maybe if you're going down the unikernel path, like if you're like, well, I'm going to build a unikernel for this because we need to run it on hundred, you know, hundred thousand machines. Perhaps if you're like, actually, we need to run it on a hundred million machines, you might be like, ah, let's take our unikernel and figure out how to, you know, codify it into a chip so that we just have a an ASIC for um, doing what the, these unikernels we had before are doing. Yeah. It's it's really easy just to go and throw this into a, into a ROM, right? So I mean, you could literally. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you wanted to do, right? You could. This mm-hmm. could be pure hardware um, mm-hmm. with the with the unikernel stored in ROM or something like that, mm-hmm. or Pram. So it, you know, it's 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 very it's very very minimal. It's very very tight, um, and you know, it's very very specialized. So. So I guess without knowing exactly where that line is and when you do it and and how those trade offs work because that's not really our job and and our our expertise here at MobyCast, um, we can at least identify that that gradient right like all the way down becomes silicon becomes ROM becomes chip stuff and all the way up becomes you know contain like uh like running software on on actual machines like. Any kind of software on machines, like sort of custom as as needed, bespoke software. Right. You see that gradient? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Am I speaking gibberish here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, so I, I think we'll we'll kind of get into this too, right? Where it's just, um, I mean, maybe just jumping to the to the conclusion a little bit. You know, I I'd say that. Like, Micro VMs and containers is is really how we're going to be interacting with this stuff. Unikernels are really interesting, and it's important to talk about them because they're really aiming at some of the same problems that micro VMs are addressing. Mm-hmm. But they're just like there's the adoption. The people that are going to use unikernels are going to be a much smaller set, right? It's it's really for very specific things. So like if you are a big a big cloud company um, and like you just need to run just a bunch of web servers. Like you may turn your web server into a unikernel um, and just employ the effort to do that. Cause it just, it just makes sense to, to you're going to overcome the investment that goes into the, to, to doing that. And the, the learning curve and the main, like it's hard. That's the other um, one of the things that's kind of hard with unikernels is like you have to like recompile with whenever there's a device driver change, right? Mm-hmm. So versus like with VMs, they abstract that away from you. So mm-hmm. that's one of the benefits of something like using like Kata doesn't have to worry about that. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's the hypervisor is responsible for having having to deal with with devices. It just has to deal with the virtualized device, right? Mm-hmm. So. So I don't know, is, is that kind of what you were getting at with the gradient? Yeah, yeah, it is getting it, it is that. It, and essentially I think the the key driver on the gradient is essentially how many of these things are are we dealing with and how important is efficiency. So the more we're dealing with and the more important efficiency is, the the more you get down into unikernels and then even beyond that all the way to putting things into silicon. And the less of them we're dealing with, and the less important efficiency is, the more likely you are to just type in a command to run the program for yourself, so you can just use mm-hmm. it. Like that's a single instance of a program. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I think I think yeah, by and large, almost all of us, like ninety nine point nine nine percent of us, we're going to be in the container micro VM world, mm-hmm. and it's a very very small fraction where unikernels make a lot of sense, and and, and it's mm-hmm. worth going through the effort to to use them. Right. We cover a lot of information here on MobyCast, and if you've ever wanted to go back and remind yourself of something we talked about in a previous episode, it can be hard to search through our website and transcripts to find exactly what you're looking for. Well, now it's a lot easier. All you have to do is go to mobycast.fm slash show dash notes and sign up. We'll send you our weekly, super detailed outline that we use to actually record the show. A lot of times, this outline contains more information than we get to during our hour on the air. So sign up and get weekly MobyCast cheat sheets to all of our episodes delivered right to your inbox. Like if you're working for for a company where you're you're planning to, you know, have a bunch of of IoT devices um, that, you know, have a very, you know, just basically just running a single application for, you know, capturing data and then sending it on or something like that and that you should be looking at unikernels, right? As just one of the the possibilities there. Um, mm-hmm. If you are maybe you're on prem and you're looking to, you have a very large data center and you have a a really core application that's serving a lot of a lot of requests. That may very well be a candidate. Say, so, you know what? We're going to turn that into a unikernel. But mm-hmm. it's still going to be like you may, in, in that particular case, you could have an application landscape. Maybe there's a thousand applications that you have that your 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 engineering team and IT department are, are deploying. Well, maybe only a handful of those really qualify as like being worthy of being unikernels, and the rest should still be containers. Right. I guess um, I want to point out though that tooling matters, and if a lot of people put in a bunch of hard work around unikernel tooling, and the next thing we know, there's like a drop down in in uh, uh, Visual Studio that says compile as unikernel, and that's all you have to do. Like, yeah, well, then maybe that's maybe we all start using them, right? Like, compile as unikernel and deploy to Azure right now. Click. Yeah, I mean that, well, and and that's what's missing, right? So with yeah. with unikernel, so one like. You are giving up some flexibility there, right? It has to mm-hmm. be a single process, and that may or may not be a, a, a mm-hmm. deal breaker for your for mm-hmm. your particular application. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's not, um, and if the tooling is there, right, so that it's just as easy to create a unikernel as it is to create a container, then absolutely. Like, I mean, it's yeah. it's gonna, but it's just, I just don't see that happening anytime soon. Like, I the right. the unikernel. You're on tape saying that. Absolutely, and I will totally do that. Like anyone wants to throw down a bet, I will go do a survey of the Unikernel ecosystem. And it is so fragmented; it right. is so fits and starts. Um, right. There's some interesting projects out there, but would you, can, you say that it's just for script kitties? I'm just writing this down. It's just for script kitties. <laughs> I think it's for folks that are just really love geeking out on hardware and working on hard problems and dealing with. Like kernel level type code, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there are there've been like 10, 10 or more projects out there that are that are dealing with unikernels. Um, you know, one of the ones that seems to get a lot of traction right now, getting a lot of traction right now, is OSV. Okay, which is kind of really designed for Linux apps on in the in the cloud, and 
Um, another one that's been been around for quite some time is Mirage OS. And there's other ones like Include OS, there's Rump and the Rump Kernel. Um, but there is one called Runtime JS. A lot of these, they were kind of started, you know, four, five, six, seven years ago. And they had some, you know, a, a burst of a flurry of activity and then they've kind of died off. So uh-huh. like Runtime JS was um, basically for JavaScript applications. You, basically, you can write a JavaScript, JavaScript application, Node application, and have it run as a unit kernel. Um, well, it looks like that project basically kind of like shriveled up about three years ago. Okay. And Mirage OS um, it looks like a lot of the activity has kind of trailed off in the last couple of years as well. Mirage oh, OS is also requires you to write your application in OCaml. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, so that's that's a really big change, right? Like right. Say, yeah. Like, we're now going to have go to go ahead. learn this new language, and it's not even like it's not like. I mean, it's come on. It's not even like Rust or or uh, Python. I mean, it's it's OCaml. Yeah. So yeah, you know, join us at the OCaml meetup yeah. on Thursday, where Jerry <laughs> talks about how he's incorporated making unicurls into his dev process. I know. It's like it's like wow. Instead of three people, there's four people tonight. This is amazing. Let's go attack the new guy. <laughs> he's like, oh, I thought I was here for the Rust meetup. <laughs> Yeah. No. So, um, so it's just. But it's, seriously, though, like that's. I mean, like there were people having the same conversation about Docker ten years ago, and and saying, well, you know, it's just for people that like playing around with C groups, right? But here's the, diff- here's the difference, though. Unikernels have been around for. I mean, this community has been there for five plus years. So yeah, Docker, but, Docker didn't, didn't we take also five. do an episode where we talked about how containers have been around for twenty years or something like that, or like a really long time? Can, yeah, until the tooling came about. Yes. So okay. can, can, that's, I mean, the, that's the only point I'm trying to make. If yeah. if it turns out that they're wildly beneficial once some certain tooling comes around, like then everybody's going to jump on because that's what we do as developers. Like we love the new new and mm-hmm. and like and the next generation that's tired of hearing graybeards talk about containers and how I was there when blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like, where's our thing? And it could be unikernels. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know it, again. It just Unicorners are just so specialized. It is yes, going to limit. Yes. It's going to limit their the use cases that you can use them for. So I think you know if the right tooling comes along, they could become much more popular than they are right now. But again, it's going to be. It's not going to be general purpose. Um, and you just you really it's it's that big shift change, right? It's it's really similar to like what it took when we went from you know building for for VMs versus building for containers. To go to this idea of like, I've, I'm no longer in an operating system. I'm single address space, single process. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just it's just a really just radically different way of building an application. And you just but listening to you say that sounds so cool. Oh, mm-hmm. that's cool. I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. And it, there's nothing. So okay, maybe we should talk. So we talked. Okay. There's. There are um, you know many projects out there that are in this unikernel space. Um, really, OSV I think right now is the one that has the most momentum. It's also interesting to note that Firecracker, the only guest other than Linux that it supports, is OSV. Mm. So that gives some credence to the OSV project for sure. Yeah. Um, so you can write your you know you can have your unikernel done in OSV and then. 
you can now run it inside a Firecracker VM. Um, and that is supported today. I want to know, I, I want to like get my head around what OSV, like how to think about it. Like, cause I can kind of think about a unikernel and I can kind of think about, well, somehow you have to say, you know, stat, like kind of statically link your code to the kernel, mm-hmm. right? Like that's essentially what you have to do. Yeah. Um, and I want to just kind of picture what OSV does or what it is that enables me to do that. I, I think you can really just think of it as it's it's a it's a compiler, um, and so it okay. it is running. It requires a hypervisor, right? Because they're not they're gonna they're they don't want to go and try to have support for all the different device drivers and and, mm-hmm. and everything else, right? So it's it requires a hypervisor. So it's going to be pro. It's going against that virtualized um, model. So it doesn't have to worry about that and let the hypervisor worry about device drivers and whatnot. Um, but you're it, you're just basically it, it is a compiler, right? So you are um, uh, you have your application. Um, you're now going to run it through a compiler that's going to spit out basically a an executable, an executable in image yeah. format, and it's mm-hmm. basically going to create a VM image, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, got but it, it's got just it. no longer this full blown operating system. It's not. You can't. There's no fork command, right? You can't spawn off a new process or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. It's just been statically linked. All the code that it does need. Um, it ends up being these these unikernels. They implement. They they say that they um, they focus on the protocol implementations rather than device drivers, and that that really just means they are writing the support for. Um, the, those are the library, the OS libraries that they need in order to to give the support that the program thinks, and so that it's as if it were running on a full blown operating system, but instead just uh-huh. pulling it in. So all these just think it's 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 a compiler, um, and it's building a, a VM image. Um, this is yep. really how to look at it. And and then the name is it's like with all of these projects the name kind of gets to applied to everything so you you go and you get the OSV toolkit and that that's the compiler that you're actually downloading probably and then you run probably like there's a like a CLI I bet that's like you know OSV build or something who knows what it mm-hmm. is and then yep. you you point it at your directory and it builds it yep. and then out comes a an image that you just mentioned and then um, when what in the part where you said um, Firecracker has support for OSV? What that means is that that image you would call it an OSV image, and when you um, when it's actually instantiated and run, then that you would call that an OSV unikernel. So everything kind of gets that name OSV on it, even though that's, it's different things. Like there's the OSV compiler, the OSV mm-hmm. image, and the OSV mm-hmm. actual running unikernel. Yeah, cool. like when when you when you launch when you tell Firecracker, hey, I want to create up a VM, you basically are telling there's command line, you know, fl- there's API, you know, command line flags that tell it, do you want to use a Linux OS or do you want to use OSV? And if OSV, cool. here's a path to my my image, right, to go use. Well, that sounds fun. I want to go do that right now. <laughs> well, I mean, you can. So, I mean, we'll, we'll have there. There'll be. Um, uh, Links in the show notes um, to go see all these different project pages, and they all have tutorials. And you know, if you if you want to go write some OCaml, you can Mirage OS. I'll show you how to do that. Um, <laughs> that I don't want to do. <laughs> if you want to go create something with OSV, and you can go 
you can go download Firecracker yourself and OSV yourself and go go build out this stuff and, and play around with it. Um, the other thing to point, so um, just on the tooling land, landscape here, uh, there is um, a kind of a newish tool out there called it's called it's pronounced unique. Um, it spelled out. Oh, I did. Like, I totally just read that as Unix. Yeah, I didn't well, even notice that was a K. Yeah, yeah. So, it, so it's spelled out. It looks like Uni and then capital K, um, uh-huh. but apparently it's pronounced Unique. And, and it looks like the word Unix. Mm-hmm. Yes. So bad job naming people. Whoever <laughs> did that, try it harder next time. Um, yes, and so so th- what this is is this is trying to be some of that Docker like tooling oh, for okay. making Unikernels. And so what it does is it supports building unikernels for Mirage OS, for Include OS, for OSV, and for Rump. And so for each one of those, though, it's got to be in specific languages, right? So if you if you want to make the Mirage OS unikernel, then it's going to be OCaml um, mm-hmm. that you need to write your application in. If it's Include OS, it's C++ code. OSV supports Java, Node, C, and C++. Rump is Python, Node, and Go. And then for Firecracker, it needs to be Go. Um, so if you write your application in, in Go, then you can use Unique to now compile that into a Firecracker VM. Cool. So uh, so, so yeah, so that, the Unique, it's um, open source. It's from the Solo IO team. And we've talked about them in the past with um, things like um, microservices observability. They have a um, they have a whole suite of uh, open sourced software for dealing with just cloud development. So they have things like uh, Glue, and there's uh, some some tools around observability. Lots of really low level technical interesting stuff they're doing. Um, I've I think if we mentioned this in the past, I felt a little bamboozled at some of these conferences where I go to a talk that sounds really cool and ends up being a demo of one of these solo applicate these solo projects. Um, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, as opposed to being more general purpose, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it kind of feels like it's an ad for. It. But um, all that said, yeah, which is tough because it's like it's an open source project, right? So is mm-hmm. it an ad or is it not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyhow, so 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 unique is out there, and it's kind of that's its goal, right? Is to kind of be that Docker-like tooling for unikernels. So, so nothing else. They were go. listening. Those those folks were listening to MobyCast, and when I was saying I think this is all going this direction, they were like, "Yeah, yeah, he's right." <laughs> and when you were saying it's not, they were like, "No, no, he's wrong." <laughs> I would gladly have a smackdown um, with, with with them, and, and we'll, we'll it'll be friendly. Right, but right, I'll, sure. I'll still stick to my guns, um, <laughs> and I, I think we can all. We we we'll, well. I think we'll all come to a to a point where we can agree. There's there's. It's not a it's not a death match between between containers and unit kernels that they each are going to have their place, and it's just containers containers by <laughs> far. Containers. There we go. That's, that's what's coming. That's next. the future. Containers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> TM, I'm trademarking that right now. I'm gonna go get that domain name. I love that. Oh, so fun. Oh, you bet. Uh, so there's so there's there's room for both, but by and large, containers will, will will have the majority of the of the market share, and unikernels will be relegated to a small, specialized but important part of that. 
Cool. We have a couple minutes left, Chris, and um, I just wanted to. Are, do, are we done with the outline for today? I think we are. Yeah. So we and we so we we went through in depth with micro VMs. We've now really, I think, understand unikernels and its landscape. And we talked about sandboxes and, and really quick sandboxes. It's really um, Google the GVisor project there. Um, is kind of taking that approach where it's it's we've talked about containers. One of the, the security problems that they have is that it's got a shared kernel across all yep. containers, including with the host. And so what that project is doing is it's creating a kernel proxy for every container. Um, and they're actually implementing the syscalls for the Linux kernel in the code for that proxy. And that way, instead of having just a single kernel for the entire system, now each container has its own kernel. But so that becomes the isolation. So it's not a VM, right? Um, and, and and that really strong isolation. But it's just this. It is it is tighter, um, and it's and it's more locked down because each one they're no longer sharing a kernel. Right. I don't know if it, if it does seem like it's like well, if you're not taking advantage of the. The hardware capabilities of the of the chip that lets you do virtualization. Then, are you can you really trust that software to really mm-hmm. break it down mm-hmm. um, and isolate it? Anyway, yeah. w- maybe yeah. it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah, um, and working on that, working on the isolation problem from the from the container side instead of working on the speed speed problem from the VM side. It does seem like a wor- you know worthwhile thing to for some people to throw throw their minds at for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Just because we had a couple more minutes here, I wanted to get your thoughts on something just completely off the cuff. Uh, I think I sent you a article the other day, or just a um, a link to Oxide Computers, Oxide Computing. Uh, that's Jess Frazel's new company. Did you see that? Did you? Are mm-hmm. you aware of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about it for five minutes. Just it's interesting because you know we're saying. All the innovation is happening inside the clouds. And we're even talking about that exact innovation in these past three episodes, right? Um, and, but we've also talked about in the, in the, we also talked about it in our reinvent post shows, like, mm-hmm. you know, moving, moving, um, hypervisor into silicon and moving some of the networking and changing the way the networking protocols work. And so basically this, you know, just and her, partners are making a bet that they can give people that want to operate on-prem some of the advances that have happened in build in actual server, you know, in servers. Like, uh, and so, I don't know, do you think they can? Do you think that they're going to, like, are, are you interested in seeing what they do with that? So, yeah, I mean, so I guess, um, so the caveat is I'm not, I'm not an expert in the on-prem market space, right? So sure, I don't. Sure. Me neither. So when yeah. we, I mean, we. So what we do know, right, is like we've seen numbers where it's like, oh, three percent of the compute workload is in the cloud, and ninety-seven percent is not. Um, right. So okay, that sounds like you know quite a bit, but it's like I don't know. Is that like, are we talking about like folks where they have a single rack of computers makes up the bulk of that, or is it like? People with like full blown data centers with twenty thousand servers um, in it, right? So it really kind of boils down to like, what's the market space for this? I mean, are there enough folks out there that can that really have 
the need for this. Like that's one of the reasons why cloud is driving the innovations because they have a very real business need. So you know, mm-hmm. Google, Google, and 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 uh, Facebook started off kind of leading the way with this just because they had to, right? Mm-hmm. Like Google was like, we have to have millions of of computers, so we're going to start building our own, and we're going to. You know, build up based upon like a blade type architecture, and then just keep going from there. So we just need to have hardware folks on the team and continually doing that, just because that's the only way that we're going to be able to scale. Yeah. Um, and Facebook had the exact same problem. And right. So and then obviously public clouds like AWS and 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 now um, Google Cloud and and Azure. I mean, they all have the same problems. Also, so it makes a lot of sense. Um, it just. I just I'm not familiar enough with the with just like the customers in the market space for on-prem like are they is this a compelling enough solution for them do they really have that problem or are they okay buying blade servers or one u servers from folks like Dell or or whoever else they're getting their their can be I've been so removed from that on-prem space yeah, yeah thankfully for so long right like it's right. like I can't imagine Going and building out my own data center now, right? So you kind of can like get a sense of it, though, right? Like you kind of f- can feel like that there must be, like it just feels like when you go to conferences and you see you see the kind of companies that might sell that kind of stuff. It's like, oh yeah, that doesn't look new-ish at all. And and I can kind of imagine that maybe a reason for building this company, this oxide computer, is like because the blade server sa- sales. Companies are like, yeah, you know, we we're on version five point eight, and with five point eight, we've added this faster processor that we bought from Intel, and we just put it in there, right? And like they're just kind of like adding more and more of like whatever the whatever the commercially available hardware is, but then inside the clouds, they're like, yeah, and we're we're buying these machines, we're ripping them open, we're changing out all these components, we're making them our own, or we're even manufacturing them ourselves, or whatever. Um, so it does feel like there's probably a pretty substantial difference between what's inside the box on a on a computer sitting inside an AWS data center or a Google data center versus what's inside the box at, on a computer running like a, a a proprietary healthcare company data center. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, absolutely. I mean, and yeah. that's totally true, right? Again, it's just yeah. is there is there need for having that AWS level specialization? In on prem, are people willing to pay for? And then not only pay for that, but are they willing to like take the chance, right? Like mm-hmm. this is like really yeah, like, yeah, for sure. I mean, That's this a is, big one. This yeah. is really important stuff, right? Versus like to say I'm going to bet it on like this brand new thing coming out of a startup. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's I mean, this is this is the meat and potatoes. So so yeah. there's that. Um, I'll go out on a limb prediction: they're acquired within eighteen months, two years. And buy mm. buy up by a hardware company. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, but that makes that to sense me because then, a no brainer. Yeah, um, because they would be um, they'll probably be successful at making a pretty cool machine, and then if they can make that, they'll have a hard time selling it because of the problem you just said. But then somebody will look at it and go, "Oh, I want that!" Like we can just pull that in house, and then they they have all the sales relationships and everything that they need to make it yeah. go. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, it it just makes a lot of sense to be like this is core technology that can really benefit one of the the bigger companies that's selling hardware. And cool. It'll be a no-brainer. And, you know, they also, they have a great team, a great founding team. So um, yeah. Brian Kentrell um, being there as one of the, the, the three founders, like that's a, you know, 
he's 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 got a, a long time at Joyant um, as being mm-hmm. one of their their primary leaders there, and I mean he was, you know, one of the key stewards of Node.js, um, you know, while during those formative years and whatnot. And I think before that he was at Sun, and so like really really strong pedigree in that space. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Yeah. Good. Uh, yeah, and it's a fun company to watch just because, I mean, it's literally. Like you get to think about Halt and Catch Fire, like that TV show, and just like the, the starting a computer company. Wow! Like here we are, 2020, and somebody's starting a computer company. How yeah. fun! Yeah, so, very cool. Uh, let's talk again next week. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about. Do you know? You know who? Who knows? There's, there's, there's. Uh, it's going to be a surprise. Okay, let's yeah. surprise everybody. Okay. All right. Thanks so much for this episode, Chris. Thanks, John. Talk to you later. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being aboard with us on this week's episode of MobyCast. Also, thanks to our producer, Roy England, and I'm our announcer, Stevie Rose. Come talk to us on MobyCast.fm or on Reddit at r slash MobyCast.